friends. Welcome back to the show. Today we've got a lot to cover and we have so much to cover that I don't have time for anyone else to be on the podcast with me. We're not messing around. We're not playing games today. We've got too much to cover. So, uh, you know, it's just you and me today. We're just doing this together. Uh, A couple things up front. Uh, First of all, we've got our 500th podcast episode coming up just around the corner and I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do for it. Uh, I really, uh, I really don't know. It's kind of weird. It's, uh, it's like to do something special for the 500th anniversary kind of feels like uh, throwing myself a birthday party, which is like, that's a weird thing to do. Never done it. I mean, maybe I should, maybe you have, uh, maybe it works out great for you, but I've never done it. So, um, anyway, if you got ideas, send me an email, look at, uh, lukenorsley.com.org. Look at LukeNurser.org. Yeah, that's what it is. Or uh, just hit me up on Instagram. It's probably the easier way to do it. Um, anyway, so 500th episode of the podcast, which is crazy that we're there. Um, and so that'll be just a couple episodes from now. And so I don't know what I'm going to do for it. Um, I got a busy week coming up. It's actually going to be a week that um, I will be in California for uh, the Pepperdine event. And then I have a trip to Disney for my daughters. They have a cheer competition uh, at Disney that, uh, like I'm literally flying from Pepperdine to Disney for that. So, uh, I'll be gone like for those week and a half, but, uh, hopefully before then I can schedule and get something done for that 500th episode. Um, another thing, um, oh yeah, that's it. Um, but so I'm going to do a little bit of a rant today. Uh, it's a project that I'm kind of working on. Um, not really sure what it's going to be. So it's kind of like a rant and peculiarly, peculiar, uh, interesting. Let's just go with interesting. Interestingly enough, uh, of the last, uh, you know, couple months of podcasts, the two most downloaded episodes are Shauna Nequist, who uh, recently just had her book hit the New York Times bestseller. So big congrats to uh, Shauna uh, for her great book. And uh, the other one uh, tied for uh, most downloads is uh, the rant I did on deconstruction. And so it seems that uh, the rants are, um, you know, something that, um, you know, I probably should do more of. And so uh, today I got something uh, to share with you. Because um, I like, I kind of want your, your y'all's feedback on this. So I'm trying some stuff out and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Because uh, y'all's opinion matters. Not not everyone's opinion matters, of course. Not everyone's does. Uh, last night, John Mayer came to Austin, Texas and opened up the new Moody Center. Did a brilliant job. Great show. Amazing show. After the show, uh, me and my friend Jason Miller, who went to the concert together, were uh, getting ready to find out our Uber driving back uh back from the concert and uh two comments i heard while standing outside next to jay waiting for our uber first one is uh a gentleman and a lady were next to us struck up a conversation they asked uh how we met and like that's always an awkward conversation when you're a pastor like it typically like just gets weird when you do that and so anyway so jay just goes um we're pastors. And so the lady goes, oh, um, I, like, I didn't expect that. I, I, I'm surprised. And the gentleman goes, ah, it makes sense. And then he goes, here's the line. He says, you know, pastors are like lingerie. They come in all shapes and sizes. I don't know what that even means. I don't know what to do with that. I've never seen a comparative statement between pastors and lingerie before. I'm still trying to like make sense of that, and I probably will be for the next decade. Um, if you have any insight on that, um, feel free to let, let me know how to process that uh, comparison if you got it. Um, second thing I heard, while I'm still processing this, I hear uh, another couple, uh, they're walking by, 
And the guy goes, you know, I expected, uh, you know, John to be less awkward on stage. He's just seemed really awkward on stage. And I was completely baffled. I mean, John Mayer has been making music for two plus decades in a very public, uh, big stage format. And I thought he was absolutely brilliant on stage. Music was great. Performance was great. Uh, he was funny, affable, all that kind of stuff. Yet there's a guy walking by who wanted to share his opinion that John Mayer seemed awkward on stage. And it reminded me, everyone has an opinion, but not all opinions matter. Now, unfortunately, in a culture that has been so deeply influenced by social media, where we feel like everyone has an opinion, therefore everyone's opinion matters equally and everyone's opinion needs to be heard by everyone. Like you lose the ability to go, wait a minute, that's just wrong. Like your opinion doesn't matter. Even before social media, we were doing these um, man on the street interviews, which is just a you know, kind of popular segment. But every time you do that, you go, wait a minute, not everyone has an educated opinion. Everyone has an opinion. And I think everyone should feel free to express their opinion. But just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's a good opinion. Um, but you guys are not that. Like you, you guys have an important opinion because like I know you're smart listeners because you listen to the podcast. And so uh, I got this thing I'm working on and I just like your, your feedback on it. And so uh, I'm going to um, do a little reading and uh, maybe you guys can... Uh, Give me your opinion. If it's making sense, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. And so uh, that's what I'm about to do in a second. Again, 500th episode. Uh, if you get feedback on you know, what I should do for that, also let me know about that. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, listening to The Rant on Deconstruction. Uh, that's connected to a, a good number of people that I've got to interact with. And uh, I appreciate that connecting with you. And so I'll continue to figure out ways that uh, we can incorporate that into the repertoire of what we do here on the podcast. So Uh, Without further ado, here we go. My wife found a used swing set on Facebook garage sale, which I was tasked with picking up. It could have been a different website where she found it, or the swing set could have been not for sale, and I was just sent over to a random house to commit theft, but I've learned to never ask too many questions. The more the questions, the less the happy marriage. I just keep my mouth shut and do what I'm told. I'm donating an hour of driving without any questions to my future happiness when my wife's new item appears at home. I silently got in my truck, clicked on the address my wife had messaged to me, turned on a podcast, and began driving. That day, God smiled down on me because to my surprise, today's trip was only a half a mile away within our own neighborhood. I pull up to the never-seen-before cul-de-sac in the back of our neighborhood, and I immediately fell in love. I grew up in rural Southeast Ohio. It was so rural that I couldn't see any neighbors from my house. At this stage of my life, I preferred the convenience of living in a neighborhood compared to country life, but I really miss the privacy. This home had both convenience and seclusion. Behind their house was a large backyard with complete privacy from their two neighbors on either side and a view from their back porch of undeveloped Texas scenery. Beautiful. No houses anywhere to be seen, just trees in the evening sunset. Perfect. For some reason, the homeowners didn't invite inside the guy picking up their used swing set in his old truck. But I didn't need to see the interior to determine that this house had become my favorite home in my neighborhood. In case my brother-in-law became a rich accountant who works for a shady company like Enron that makes him rich, but then causes him to go to jail and he needs someone to spend his illegal money while he's in jail. This is the house I'd buy with my brother-in-law's tainted money. Now, fast forward a few years later. 
I take my dog, Oliver, for a walk through the neighborhood, and we walk by the house, that exact house. My brother-in-law had just become a partner at his accounting firm, so I figured I needed to double-check on my dream home, especially since I had seen a large for-sale sign in front of the home just a few months ago. The sign was now gone, and in its place were construction vehicles and a large fence around the property, a large temporary fence around the property. My dream home was being completely renovated. This wasn't like converting a garage into an extra bedroom renovation. They were adding at least two, count them, 2,000 square feet and untold interior work. I hadn't seen any construction project of this magnitude in our neighborhood except for the house that burnt down after being struck by lightning. Here's my educated guess on what had happened. First, the house was struck by lightning because that family kept watching church online instead of coming back to the building after COVID. Second educated guess, my dream home had been purchased by a family from California, thinking they could renovate the house so it could live up to their expectations for a home. Many Californians moved to our relatively more affordable housing market in Austin, Texas, so this didn't take much imagination, but it did make me less happy. My dream house was these Californians' fixer-upper home which is why I found a small part of the yard which wasn't blocked by a fence and let Oliver go to the bathroom there. I could never afford this home, but it's still frustrating when someone disrespects your dream. A few days after the walk, I was with my friend Scott, a super talented artist, author, speaker, soon after his newest book was published, which you heard about on the podcast. He had been doing a one-man show covering that book's material for a few years and now shared that message in print form. In the time between when he created the material and turned it into a book, a British comedian had filmed a Netflix comedy special that covered similar material, even using similar anecdotes. Most wouldn't see the similarities, but when you are a creator, you can't help but see commonalities. Scott was disappointed that his new book communicated the same message as the comedian's more popular comedy special. The irony is that he was oblivious to how upon reading his book, I heard the same concepts I'm developing for a project of my own. He had not only got the book out first, but he had toured the material in a one-man show all across the country for months, while I didn't do any of that. He was looking at someone a few notches up from him, just as I felt I was looking up a few notches at him. He was also oblivious to now how I had also began scheming for ways that my dog could go to the bathroom in his yard too. The next day I get coffee with a friend from Afghanistan. Years before my Afghanistan friend, his brother was a journalist who after reporting abuse within the government had been killed. My friend then fled to the States. His four sisters and the rest of his family remained back home. Five months before our coffee, the United States withdrew from Afghanistan, making his sisters in serious danger from the Taliban. He's the type of brother I would want my daughters to have. Hardworking, resilient, and hopeful. He learned how to speak English and how to drive after arriving in America simply by watching videos on YouTube. He had taken that same hustle to try to get his sisters out of harm's way, which resulted in me meeting one of his sisters, her husband, and their 18-month-old daughter that day, at the coffee shop. I don't drink coffee, but there was no way I was turning down his offer to buy me a cup of coffee that day. Driving away in my old truck, the 
profanity of my own wanderlust for more claim for my writing or for ownership of my dream home became obvious. I saw that I was just like the Californians in my neighborhood. I had been renovating someone else's dream life of having a house in a safe part of the world where my girls could grow up with no fear of violence. I'd been looking up a few notches at a more successful friend while being oblivious to those who had just longed for meaningful and dependable work to provide for their family. Our life can always feel like it needs renovation. When there is a very good chance it is someone else's dream life. We naturally forget the gifts that we actually possess. The brain is like Teflon, reflecting gratitude, but like Velcro when it comes to perceived slights and inequities. Yet there are moments like I had experienced driving home from that coffee that make us acutely aware of just how good we have it. For as helpful to us is the practice of remembering how much worse someone has it than you, it is never a lasting solution to make you love the life that you have. Looking down to others' lot in life doesn't fix the problem. It actually perpetuates the problem's root cause. For most of us, there's always someone that appears to have it worse than you. But expecting that to make you always appreciate what you have is a fool's errand, just as everyone who went on a, quote, short-term mission trip knows. The teenager who had the means to go serve for a week somewhere in the developing world, returning, return home promising to never take for granted the comforts they had overlooked. Yet two months later, they are complaining to their adult because they, ha- they must have the new iPhone or, I quote, they will die. The details of that story changes. It might have been an adult who went to serve at a shelter on Thanksgiving or a college student volunteering at an inner city mission, but the phenomenon stays the same. It's a helpful short-term fix to remind yourself of others' problems, especially when you are in a middle-class tax bracket or above. It is methadone to the addiction of comparison, but it is not a solution. Thinking being better off than someone makes you love your life is wrong, which is why happiness rates of those with more resources don't exceed those with less resources. Here's why. Sobriety is never found outside. It's always found within. The reason it doesn't work is because we are looking for grounding by way of the unstable act of comparison. Whether comparison is being done about how much better someone has it than us or how much worse, comparison never leads to the wholeness and peace because we are attempting to find stability outside of ourselves. Being aware of Your greater fortune than others is, again, a helpful short-term answer, but is not the solution because the answer to finding peace and joy is never to go out. It is always to go within. The Christian tradition says that peace and joy are byproducts of being in relationship with God. They are not an end in themselves, but rather they are the byproduct of being in connection with God. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit or the consequence of what Paul calls living in the Spirit of God is the attribute's appearance. Since those are multiple traits, sometimes they're each called the, quote, fruits of the Spirit, yet it is not plural traits in the text, but rather a singular trait, the fruit of the Spirit. All of those traits are the singular byproduct of being rooted and connected to God. The flip side of the fruit are what Paul calls the, quote, works of the flesh. 
which he states are hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. For Paul, the, quote, flesh is a metaphor for a way of life disconnected from God. Theologian Christopher Wright says, what Paul is saying with his list of beautiful qualities is this. These are the qualities that God himself will produce in a person's everyday, ordinary human life because the life of God himself is at work within them. One doesn't create the qualities of joy and peace in their life as much as they invite the source of joy and peace into their life. Let me say that again. One doesn't create the qualities of joy and peace in their life as much as they invite the source of joy and peace into their life. I've grown to accept that I must relinquish my attempts to find peace through attaining the life that I want because they are futile. Instead, when I feel disconnected, anger, or envy, the solution isn't to replace the cards that I've been dealt or to focus on how much better my cards are than others, but instead to see this as an invitation to reach out towards the source of peace. Peace and love come from being connected with God. Envious comparison is based on our disconnection from others. Don't misunderstand me. Being aware of how much worse others have it than you can be a sober reminder of reality. I've worked with too many people trying to move past the consequences of an affair. Almost every time I do, I find myself at night in my gratitude practice writing down my thankfulness for never having had an affair. I've seen too many families upended by a child being diagnosed with cancer. And yet every time I do, I'm grateful that we didn't have that situation with our daughter. I've seen too many people struggle with frustrating and soul-sucking work to not be grateful for the meaningful and rewarding job that I have. But these reminders of reality are a wonderful short-term supplement, but they are an inadequate long-term solution. In moments of health, those external events are the equivalent of adding a piece of paper on burning coals. It causes a sudden increase of fire, but the overall, overall warmth doesn't change. In moments of unhealth, those external circumstances can feel like the only source of gratitude in my life. They burn quickly, but almost as quickly they burn out and leave me cold. God is not in some distant country elsewhere, but God is always right here and right now. When God became flesh in the person of Jesus, one of the names that he would be called is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. In Matthew's account, Jesus' final words are, I am with you always to the end of the age. The promise that we have is that God is with us right here and right now, which means the higher power from which peace and joy flow is already within us. It's already here. And that's where peace and joy are experienced, is right here with God. All right, let me tell you a story. On this particular Friday night, our family didn't make it to go get pizza. My four exhausted ladies didn't want to spend 30 minutes driving to our normal spot in South Austin, which is Home Slice. So we went to our burger place just around the corner. As we walked inside, I grabbed a table with the girls while Lindsay went to order our food. After years of marriage, we know the game plan. Like a seasoned quarterback and receiver in the football field who don't need to call a play to know what the other will do, at this burger joint, Lindsay and I just know what to do. Lindsay likes to order the food. The two younger girls will either play at the old school arcade game or the fancy hand washing station, while the oldest will sit down at the table right next to me, holding our spot for the family. Between the arcade game where the girls played and where I was sitting was a couple a few years older than me who had already ordered. 
and they were eating fries. They were not happy and they called the manager over to their table. The commotion caught my attention. Just as the manager arrived, the disgruntled gentleman put down his fries and held up a milkshake saying, we ordered a 20 ounce shake and this isn't 20 ounces. His tone was right, but his comments didn't necessarily seem wrong to my eyes. The cup was probably a 12 ounce cup. The manager's lips weren't visible behind his mask and his words weren't audible, but he did what my experience as a waiter back in college would have predicted. He walked back towards the kitchen. And as he left, the patron looked at his wife and said, I mean, it was six dollars. Expletive removed. As I suspected, the manager returned with the taller cup to accompany the smaller cup that remained on the table. The patron receives in his hand the drink, senses something wrong, opens the lid, looks inside, and then glares up at the manager, extending the cup. The milkshake stops half an inch below the top of the cup. Come on, man, this isn't 20 ounces. For context about what I'm going to say next, you must know that I have a lengthy history of stockpiling ice cream. I used to purchase two and a half gallon boxes of my favorite flavor of ice cream from a local ice cream shop where I used to live outside of Dallas and bring it three and a half hours down to Austin in a cooler that I purchased solely for the purpose of transporting said ice cream to Austin. I even had to remove shelving in my freezer to accommodate this ice cream. Also, I'm not too proud to admit that at the beginning of COVID, while some were taking more than their fair share of toilet paper and stockpiling, I myself was stockpiling my new favorite ice cream. Don't judge me. It was a tough season for all of us. But even I, in all of my ice cream obsession, knew this secondary response to the milkshake shortage to be wrong. The math didn't up, add up for him to be this upset. Between the two milkshakes in front of him, I knew immediately that he was well over the 20 ounces of milkshake he purchased for $6. <clears throat> the next day, I'm getting my haircut by my barber, Morgan. I tell her the story, and she, uh, a biology major uh, in college, states that technically ounces is a weight, not a volume measurement. And as we all know, the viscosity of a soda is lesser than the denser milkshake, so his eye test is flawed scientifically. Update, two weeks later, I return for another haircut, Uh, because one must get a haircut uh, before they preach, as the Bible says. And Morgan has another layer to the story, which she has unearthed when the owner of the burger joint came in for a haircut the previous week, and she relayed my story to him. He said, since COVID started, there's been a shortage of cups, so the 20-ounce cup isn't available. Instead, they are using 24-ounce cups, which makes the patron's eye test to be doubly flawed. But that's way too much science for me. Let's go back to our milkshake guy. He's eating. A double meat burger that's not even on the menu, which is accurately known as the piggy. I know that isn't, excuse me, I know that is the name because that's the same burger I order every time I'm there. The piggy plus the fries and the milkshake adds up to there being no possible way that he's leaving there in a caloric deficit. He's obviously in caloric excess and yet he's still deeply troubled by the two ounces of milkshake that he erroneously perceives to be missing. In that moment, I had a divine nudge that this gluttonous tableau mirrored my own reality. It was an annoying nudge because I much preferred just looking at him and feeling better about myself because I'm not rude to people at restaurants like him. But that type of nudge that we rarely uh, want is the one that rarely makes us feel good in the moment. Far too often, I am reminded in that moment that I feel like protesting a few ounces of goodness that I perceive to be entitled to having is missing. 
while I'm willfully ignorant to the excess that I already have received. I was not promised 40 years in this earth, just like you weren't promised however many years you have on this earth. I was not promised to find someone who would graciously stay married to me for almost two decades. I was not promised to have both of my parents alive and around until I was in my late 30s, yet the whisper of more incessantly serenades us, saying if we just get, achieve, improve, remove, or change, then it would be easier to love our life. The lie is that we're just a few ounces away from being able to truly accept what our life is. 2,000 years ago, Jesus upended the Jewish dietary code saying that it's not what goes in a person's mouth that makes them unclean, but it is what comes out of a person's mouth that makes them unclean. With a bit of poetic license that wisdom translates to this conversation. Nothing that goes into your possession from the outside will make you love your life because love always starts on the inside. My source of enoughness isn't in how deeply connected I am to the quote-unquote ideal good life, but it is in how connected I am to the source of goodness, which is already present with me and you right here and right now. Before our baby dedication Sunday at church, my coworker Kathleen had the great idea for all of the ministers at our church to send in baby pictures for a social media post. Love the idea, but it made me sad. My mom, the one who kept up with pictures in our family, had passed almost two years before. And grief, as some of you have experienced, is like standing with your back to the ocean. You know a wave is going to hit you, but you just don't know when. Even two years later, the waves surprisingly come. Uh, One minute I'm in a meeting with Kathleen and others as she shares this idea, and then a wave of grief snuck up on me. I was in my feelings for the rest of the next couple of hours. On my way out of the office that afternoon, I pop in my head to my coworker Ram John's office just to say goodbye. The baby pictures come up. I mentioned that I'm not even sure where mine uh, would be without my mom around. He mentions that he too will have difficulty sending a picture to Kathleen because the rebels burned all of his family's stuff during the Rwandan genocide, the same genocide which also had taken uh, the lives of many people which he and his family loved. In an instant, my mother passing away a few years before her 70th birthday seemed to be far more preferable uh, of an alternative than what uh, he and other Tutsis experienced during the Rwandan genocide. And all of a sudden, I felt really petty. In light of the ugliness of life, my grief seemed far more palatable. Comparison puts our life in context with the ugliness of life. But always being motivated by the worst isn't the best solution. It's helpful in a moment to remind you of what reality is, but ultimately the source of gratitude and love and value and appreciation for your life comes from you being connected to the source of gratitude, the source of joy, the source of peace. Joy is often our level of connection to God, whereas happiness is how connected or disconnected we are from the worst parts of life. And sadly, we chase the wrong one, and the effects are vastly different. So maybe today we choose the right one. All right. 
that's all I got for you today. Um, yep, that's it. Well, I appreciate you listening. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this uh, this rant, this monologue, this uh, this reading, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, your opinions are always appreciated because you're not like the person who said John Mayer has terrible stage presence because that is an opinion which no one needs to hear. Um, but yours, vastly different. So uh, let me know what you think. Um, hit me up uh, on Instagram or send me an email. And uh, as always, I appreciate you listening. And uh, as we get closer to that 500th episode, I just want to say thanks again uh, for all your support throughout all the years. And without you, couldn't be doing this. So all the best. Take care. Don't forget to choose joy. Joy.